Okay. All right. So here we go. Um, everyone out there, uh, thank you once again for tuning in to one of our film roundtables. Um, this is show number eight. It's amazing uh, how time uh, flies. Uh, even though it hasn't been eight weeks, it's only been five weeks since our, our first. Um, we have today a lot of very seasoned and experienced location managers, uh, which is the dive we wanted to get into this week. I want to give a little introduction um, before we have a little uh, call out um, in the virtual world. Um, we have, I have three people with us today. Um, I want to introduce you to all of them. Uh, I have Mike Fantasia, uh, who, depending upon which way you're looking, he's the gentleman with the beautiful green tree behind him. Hello, Mike. I have uh, Ryan Schetzel, who is sitting in his house. And I have Wes Hagen, who is coming to us on the road from his car. So you can figure out which guy that is. Um, yeah. All three of them are members of the Location Managers Guild International, with Mike being the president and uh, Wes and Ryan being board members. So uh, they come to us with a lot of knowledge of a lot of things. As all of, uh, uh, first I want everyone to give, I want to give you guys a little clap on my side for everyone out there in the virtual world. It's hard here to know that, you know, there's a lot of people watching you and rooting, you know, cheering for you at this moment, but there are, so I'll clap for all of them. Um, and then um, as always here on the round table, um, as those of you that have been tuning in know, um, we like to just have a little bit of a, a call out um, in the beginning for you know, this started because a lot of us were stuck at home and haven't been working because of COVID. So we're coming to you and teaching you things that we've learned about this business. Um, so we'd like to take a moment of silence at this point to honor the 627,000 reported world, worldwide COVID deaths as of today. Um, this is up almost 200,000 since we started uh, giving you these film roundtable talks. Um, also, on top of that, uh, as there are still people in the streets protesting uh, for different forms of social justice in different cities, um, we would also like to honor all of our black and brown brothers and sisters, as well as the First Nation brothers and sisters whose lives have been taken, the hands of police brutality and all other senseless acts of violence, not only here in the United States, but around the world. So please, everyone, um, let's just have a moment of silence. Thank you. Thank you. That's something that's come over this time to mean a lot to not just us that put on the round table, but a lot of people that follow us are very appreciative of just constantly, you know, remembering, um, you know, why we're here. I mean, this all, you know, started out. Uh, I know the guys here, you guys have been, you know, weekly been, been putting on coffee talks. Um, Ryan, I know you and I reached out initially. How many weeks have you guys uh, been putting on a weekly thing for other location managers around the world to share space? Uh, I'm going to say uh, it's we're up to, I think it's 20 weeks. Pardon me for not knowing right off the top of my head, but we do uh, two every week on Tuesdays and we started right around St. Patrick's Day and it started as just like, hey, it's a it's a member benefit for people in the LMGI. I know everybody's kind of weirded out and not working and sitting at home. Let's just get on and just see what people are talking about. And then it became a COVID thing. Then we've we've had a um, 
a ton of different topics and it's just grown and grown and grown. And I think, yeah, we're at, we're at 20 weeks. I think I've been on all of them except for the last couple of weeks um, as moderator for the early call. And then we have uh, another member, JJ Levine does our um, West coast call. We call it. Well, it's great. I mean, you guys, I mean, you guys were early out and a lot of people, a lot of other, you know, people within the business have been doing this, doing it first and foremost for obviously, you know, their brethren with it, whether in whichever department or, you know, a part of the business they work in. Um, but, you know, as some other people can attest to and reach out to, you know, for the general a filmmaking community. And, you know, one of the things we do here on the round table is, you know, we reach out to not just the filmmaking community, but a lot of people, we try and demystify the process, um, you know, the filmmaking process for a lot of people that are trying to get into the business and understand getting into the business. We also find it very important to make sure that people understand there's so many different ways to be in this business rather than just being the director or, you know, the writer. So many people, you know, just need that exposure to understand. And the location manager's job is, you know, uh, without a doubt, one of the, the, one of the most paramount the most paramount logistical process of the whole thing. And there is a lot of it that goes in on the creative side. So I wanted Mike to talk to you first in particular, because, you know, um, those of you who don't know Mike's credit list, he's done a bunch of Marvel movies, a lot of, uh, you know, Top Gun, I think, which is supposed to be coming out soon is on your credit list. Uh, so a lot of heavy action intensive movies. And one of the things that, you know, I know people are always curious about from the creative standpoint, on that in in that world is you know a lot of your a lot of these stunt sequences and a lot of the second unit always trying to explain the young people on a lot of these type of movies the second unit becomes bigger than the first unit right? <laughs> it's like people they never really understand that what do you mean they're like what do you mean if you're not out there you know with like you know ryan kugler and michael b jordan on black man how can the second unit be bigger it's like well the second unit's got like you know 200 extras like 50 stunt people vehicles the whole nine um, but since you have such a, a, a big background in a lot of these big action movies, the process of, of thinking about how in, 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 in streets and public locations, some of these second unit sequences, some of these big action sequences, let's call them, the, the, you know, things that people have always been curious about and some of the questions we got in is that do the director and the production designer like pick, you know, we're going to be here and do that, or is it a process or you engage them earlier than them telling you, oh, wouldn't it be great to, and offer up, hey, this is where I think we could do this sequence based upon uh, how it is in the script or what it is in the script. What's your process, Mike? You know, it just depends. Um, on, on some of these bigger bigger shows, um, you know, we go to Atlanta and, and the movie's actually set in New York or San Francisco. So right off the bat, we've got to try to, to meld the two together. Um, so we know we're going to go to San Francisco. We're going to, we know we're going to go for establishing shots, big wides, and, and the second unit stuff. Uh, it's, it's just gotten to the point where very rarely do we now go and say, hey, here's four options for you because of incentives. You know, a lot of times before you, you're even hired, you're, you're tied into a location or locations. So uh, for the most part, on the, on the Spider-Man, the Ant-Man, the Green Hornet, we knew where we were going to be. So the, uh, the, um, uh, the, the problem to solve is where do we do it? And these are always big sequences with multiple vehicles and gunfire and explosions and crashes and all that stuff. 
So it, it just comes down to like on, on the last Ant Man, we had a, about a 13 minute uh, sequence, a, a chase sequence that we broke up between Atlanta and San Francisco. And, you know, we started out, what can we get in Atlanta without really cheating to look too much? And, and we, we knocked those things out. And then we sent a team. Uh, I had a whole team of scouts in San Francisco that scouted the whole city. And we went to the city and uh, approached them with a whole range of locations. And, and when we did, we, uh, we had our police coordinator with the, the city's police coordinator with us. And very quickly, he took well over half of our locations and said, you can't do these things here. But I've got some options for you. This guy was great because he'd been working films for a long time. He knew what you could and couldn't do. He listened to what we wanted to do. And he said, yeah, these are great looks, but you just, you're not going to get it. You're not going to be able to do that during the day. So how about these streets? So he actually was as much of a location scout as my local guys were when it came down to it because he found or suggested a lot of locations for us. And then it's just a matter of really digging in and having a team on the ground long enough to, to prep it. Um, in both places, because, you know, out of the, I think in San Francisco, we shot two and a half weeks of second unit. And in Atlanta, we shot about four weeks of second unit for this car chase. And um, both, it was the same second unit team pretty much in both cities. And it was huge. It was, you know, we had 200 people out there and, and five car carriers and, you know, a million drivers and stuntmen and the whole thing. So the... Uh, so the, the two challenges on that were a finding the places where you could do the work that would work for the work for the um, for the director and then being able to secure those places. And, and in San Francisco, especially in San Francisco, you wanted to, to be in places where you could see the iconic buildings and the hills and the bridges. In Atlanta, you wanted to be in a place where you just had certain architecture in the background because you didn't want to see where you were. You didn't want to know you were in Atlanta because it's so different than San Francisco. Um, but the process involves the visual effects people, the stunt people, the second unit director, the first unit director to a certain extent, cinematographer, everybody on multiple, multiple scouts, you know, literally days and days and days of traversing both cities, trying to figure out exactly where we could do all these pieces. Yeah, that's, I mean, it, it, it's amazing. There, there's two things that you brought up there that, you know, obviously the, you know, people you know, who aren't inside baseball like what we do don't realize that we chase tax breaks. So it's like, you know, the, the, the idea of, you know, I, I, uh, I, I did a period, I did a period movie where we needed a bunch of, where we needed, you know, jungle. It was about an explorer. And it was the same type of thing. And the, the financiers came to us and they're like, there's a great tax break in Indonesia. And we're like, we're not going to Indonesia to shoot jungle. You know, and it was like, really, like, in order just to shoot jungle, we got to chase, chase tax break. So, I mean, it is, it is one of the dirty little secrets of our business, um, which is why, you know, guys like Wes and Ryan are very in demand in the city of Atlanta, because you guys are in a production, uh, you know, hotbed, uh, you know, since there's so much work that goes there due to the fact that Georgia is one of these um, uh, tax states. Um, you know, in that vein, Wes, curious, your process early on with the production designer and the script um, and, you know, whether it's in regards to stuff that just works or stuff that, you know, you can cheat, like, you know, just give, give us a little backstory on, on how you start to get off the ground, taking the production designer out for the first time. Sure. I mean, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I guess uh, I'll use for an example Ozark, which, 
you know, is supposed to take place in the Ozarks, you know, Missouri. Um, you know, I, it's, it's, I've had a few production designers on, on the series so far, but, uh, you know, usually it starts with just breaking down the script and, the, you know, they picked Atlanta to do Ozark. Um, so we did travel to the Lake of the Ozarks to get some B-roll and do some very minimal stuff with the first team. But the rest of the show has largely been shot in Atlanta, you know, in, in Georgia. So, <clears throat> I mean, Boots on the Ground was, you know, me and an uh, army of scouts, you know, just looking for replications of what I saw when I was there. And, and uh, you know, it wasn't a tall stretch for, for us to cheat the Ozarks in Atlanta and, and up and around northern Georgia. Uh, it was very similar terrain. You had some large lakes. Lake Lanier, Lake Alatoona, constantly cheat for, you know, the Lake of the Ozarks. So, um, you know, our process is the same as Mike and Ryan's, I suppose, you know, when it comes to scouting and, you know, all of our shows, you know, we just look at the scripts and uh, start to research what it really is and go for, go for that look. Yeah, that's the important thing, you know, that people – you know, uh, you, you know, to get people to understand and know is the amount of, you know, R&D that you guys do as a location department, digging into the script, you know, just as much as an art department, understanding all of these different sets, all of these different exteriors, all of these different streets, you know, what are your A, B, C, and D options in order to achieve that? You know, it's, yeah. it, it, it's, it, it's an incredibly analytical position you know that uh, you know a lot of people just kind of take for granted they're like oh yeah the script says you know this alleyway so you're shooting in this alleyway you know but you know that that's not the case you know there there is such such a detailed oh it feels like i have a canine issue um, that's my wife going i said the one thing to do is make sure the dogs are quiet um um so, you know, and, and, and that's such a, you know, process of the deep dive early on in the prep process for you guys. And, you know, especially since, you know, as those who have been following the roundtable know that I work as an assistant director. For me, it's critical, the level of handholding with my location manager, meaning as a tandem team, going into it, understanding, you know, okay, hey, how can we do this? You know, for me, you know, working in with the location manager, someone's attached to my hip so that we can, you know, get the scheduling done. As Ryan, you can attest to that since we worked on a trilogy together last year. Um, Ryan and I had the, uh, had the pleasure of doing something that's probably never been done before, which is one of the reasons I signed on to it. It was a trilogy that was shooting back to back to back, all three movies back to back over the course of its shooting schedule. Um, that in its own might sound interesting and easy, but the three movies, one took place in 1666, one in 1978, and one in 1994. And it was not a cross-boarded show. So for the, you, those of you who don't know the term, that means when you cross-board a show, means you kind of schedule it as one and you can interweave it all. We actually tried to keep the epoch separate because there was mostly different actors, but somewhat of a weaving. And that was one where, you know, Ryan and I had to work very closely at the hip to understand the certain schedules of certain big blocks. Um, Ryan, curious for you, uh, you know, what is personally for you your favorite part of the process as the ball gets rolling, where you, you really enjoy lending your creativity and brain power to? 
Sure. It's one of the reasons. Uh, thank you for that. It's my favorite part is the beginning. And I do like the, the I like the particularly the relationship between location manager and production designer. Um, and, you know, you read the script, you get a movie in your head. Then you got to get that movie in your head and figure out where you would do these things and come up with ideas. And then you talk to, to the production designer and she or he may have a different movie in their head. So you got to get rid of some of it. And then, so uh, I like having a strong movie in my head and ideas. And I feel like my, my goal creatively is to put that person in a position to present good things that I can actually deliver uh, to the director. And in doing so, you got to be careful because like you said, just because you see it doesn't mean you can have it. So you have to temper excitement with, wow, that's a perfect place to shoot that. In the back of your head, Mike and, and Wes can tell you, it's like, oh, I know that place is a nightmare for whatever reason. And they don't want to hear that. So, you know, creativity meets logistics very quickly and it meets budget very quickly and it meets ruining someone's, you know, <laughs> dreams very quickly. And so... Oftentimes, you have to be very careful with what you get too excited about or get someone too excited about if you cannot deliver it because that's uh, not not great. But for the positive side, and I'll stick to the positive, is in a perfect case, they give you something, you break it down, you look at it and you're like, oh my God, I have three great ideas for this. You go out, you present it, they like it. And that's very gratifying because you know, in the, in the movie, it, there's a little moment for the location manager. I don't know if you guys both have it too, where you're like, wow, I kind of found that and I strolled up onto it and it was in my brain and I took a picture of it and here it is on screen, right? I mean, I didn't dress it. I didn't, you know, design it. I didn't shoot the shot, but I don't know. I kind of, that that's, it's kind of fun just to know that I or someone on my staff, you know, led the circus there and captured it. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it because, you know, they've oftentimes, and 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 I and you, and you're absolutely right. There are things that you know for X, Y, or Z reasons. You just know it's going to make it either double the price, double the amount of time to shoot in a place. You know, even though it might feel creatively like it's the ideal thing. You know, I mean, you know, on some of these smaller movies, which you know we have a lot of people out there making much smaller movies than even the smallest movies that we work on. Yeah. You know, but the budget is the amazing consideration, right? It's like, you know, you can't, you know, it's like you got to be able to, you know, because the, you know, that's one of the things that's spending money right out of the gate early on is like the art department and the locations department, you know, and, yeah. you know, and resources can run out real quick if those things aren't managed properly. Art meets commerce very quickly when you show something and the production manager pulls you to the side. He's like, why are you showing them this? You know, you know, and you're like, well, I don't know. It looked good for the movie. Like, so you get caught in that little, you know, you get caught, bug on the windshield sometimes. I, I think, I think, I think we've all we've all had those moments. Um, yeah, you've. <laughs> yeah, we've all been there. Yeah. Um, Mike, for you, curious, you're talking about it. Like, you know, what is something that you really look back upon as a feather in your cap? Because I know you location managers do this, like in the idea that okay, this was unobtainable, but somehow along the way you scored it. Mike, what is that in your mind's eye? Um, That's so probably on, on the most recent film. I've got a few of those. Uh, <laughs> one, was, one was being able to film in Piedmont Park in Atlanta at night for two nights on, on uh, Spider-Man uh, uh, Spider Homecoming. They didn't, they've never allowed filming at night before, but that sort of pales by comparison with getting um, – uh, an F-18 to fly about uh, 50 feet above the ground in a wilderness area in the state of Washington last year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, top 
uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a long story, but I'll try to try to abridge it. Um, we were, we have this a bunch of sequ without giving the movie away, there's sequences in different kinds of terrain. And one of the kinds of terrain that they needed to be in in the movie was in, in, in mountains, uh, not in the United States in the winter. And uh, the, the, the military has these routes that are defined all around the country where they can fly at low level, um, uh, at very fast speeds. And most of these areas, are, all these areas are well away from population. So uh, we did find a spot up in the state of Washington that uh, the director, uh, one of our pilots came back with footage. He put GoPros in the front of his F-18 and went flying around for us and came back with, that's the best kind of scouting, right? You, put, oh, yeah. you, you fly an F-18 <laughs> at 800 miles an hour through the mountains. And he came back with some great footage, but we went back and we charted where he went. These these um, routes, these low-level routes, are there's a center line, and then they're either a mile wide or two miles wide or three miles wide. He flew outside the uh, the, the the corridor, which they some, they have a little bit of latitude to do, so that they can be safe. But anyway, he came back with this really tough place to uh, uh, a great place to shoot, but it was through a wilderness area. He nicked the wilderness area and there's no way to not shoot it without the wilderness area. So I basically started at the, I used to work for the forest service when I, when I got out of college uh, for a number of years. So I know their rules and regs. And I started at the, at the, um, at the uh, district ranger level and I went to the forest and then I went to the regional office and ended up speaking to people in Washington office, but it took about six weeks and it took, dozens of phone calls and emails and because i mean i basically went back to the wilderness act of 1964 and i went back to the enabling legislation that implemented that, that created that wilderness area in the 60s and i knew i knew that and i looked at the aeronautical charts the aero charts and it suggested staying 2,000 feet above the terrain but it didn't say you have to so i used that I said, so tell me, and I talked to somebody in Washington office about this, I said, so tell me, if, 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 if I'm in an aircraft and I'm 50 feet above the ground, I'm not violating the intent of this law. So we would prefer that you don't fly at, you know, 200 feet above the ground. I said, right, I understand. I, you know, and frankly, as a, as a guy who loves the wilderness and, and loves the natural world, I, I really don't want to do it either, but I mean, that's part of my job. So I was never told that I could, but I was told that it was until I touch the ground, I'm outside the Forest Service jurisdiction. Forest Service doesn't control the air, they control the ground. So I sort of knew that I had it. Um, but I wanted to make sure that on the day, my pilot didn't get a telephone call from the FAA saying, you've just violated section whatever. So I then went to the FAA and got the FAA people involved in a uh, conference call with the Forest Service people, and I asked all the questions, and I documented everything, and I asked the question, so, so Mr. FAA, if I fly this F-18 at 200 feet or 100 feet, you're not going to cite our pilot? He said, no, I will not. And I went to the Forest Service and said, so if we fly this F-18 at 200 feet, we're not going to be in violation. She said, I, uh, she said, we do not control the airspace. She would never say yes. They would never say yes. <laughs> But, I mean, be, be, and because, you know, we're filming at a certain time of the year, we need <clears> certain <throat> geography and certain amount, we need snow. This was the only place in the country we could have shot this. So I, ha I had to pull this one off. So, so we did. We, we were able to shoot. We shot multiple days with multiple runs. And if you look at the trailers of, of, um, 
uh, Top Gun Maverick, you'll see some jets wheeling around a corner above a lake with contrails. That's all real jets, real contrails. Um, and you see many scenes in that trailer with them going through the mountains and narrow crevasses. That's all real stuff. And that's all, those are all areas that we were able to secure because I knew the wilderness act and I, and I knew how to research. I think most people would have looked at the, 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 the wilderness line on the map and seen the FAA information was that you can't go there. But I, because I knew sort of the ins and outs of the law uh, and the regulations, I was able to secure that. So that was, that was a pretty big feather. Everybody was happy. That, that, that's up. an amazing one. And it just once again shows you that, you know, some of the, the, the lengths that locations has to go through to get things into a movie. Um, you know, what, one thing is, yeah. is we're, we're, we're creative, we're artistic. We've got to know geography. We've got to know geology. We've got to know plants. We've got to know, you know, laws. We've got, you know, if you look at location managers, you look at our backgrounds, they're varied, you know, from people who were chefs to I worked for the Forest Service. Everybody had a life. Before. Nobody grows up wanting to be a location manager. Right. And you just fall into it. <laughs> and so, you know, I know that for me, my education, my college education, and then my work for 13 years with the Forest Service and Fish and Wildlife Service really prepared me for a lot of the kinds of movies that I do because it is getting in. I mean, I, I was... I was choosing air routes for F-18s last year with, with the Navy, with our Navy coordinator. You know, it's three years ago, if you had told me this, I would have said you were crazy. But every movie, it seems, presents you with new challenges. And, and that's one of the things that's great about the job is, you know, what are you going to get hit with next? I love that. I love that. Wes, what do you got for us? I, I'm sure you have one. Uh, wow. Um, man. There's just a few. I'm sure we all had a few. I'd say for me, um, Hidden Figures in Georgia, you know, I read the script and there was a lot of work in an actual wind tunnel. And <clears throat> there aren't many of those around, obviously. And we were a period film, you know, and it was supposed to be period wind tunnel. So that added a whole nother layer. And there were, there really weren't any, but, but one, and that was at Lockheed Martin in um, Marietta, just south of Marietta, Georgia. And, you know, that's used by the, the military to test all kinds of secretive things. And people have scouted it many times, I guess, in the past, including, you know, some Marvel films and have been turned down. But the nature of our film, they were willing to entertain the idea of it. So... We started the long and arduous process of working with Lockheed Martin and, you know, the producers and team that we had going through just layers and layers of bureaucracy and rules and regulations on how to get a film crew even into a wind tunnel um, and shoot scenes. So uh, for me, that was probably one of the more challenging and rewarding ones in the end when I saw it on the screen, you know, because it definitely played a big part. Yeah. You I've been turned down three times for that wind tunnel, Wes. <laughs> Once for me. <laughs> yeah. See, Wes, you, you trumped this whole group already with the wind tunnel. Two miles from my wind house. Tunnel. I begged wind them. Tunnel. I, had a great, I had a great story that drove it all, though. So it yeah. really, in the end, it was what the story was about, which is, you know, it was about that kind of a, you know, that machine, really, at the end of the day. So... They were intrigued by the story. They knew it. They understood the character. They knew what we were asking for, and they were willing to go down that road with us. You know, but it was, it was a hell of a long struggle. 
<laughs> that's a, you bring up an interesting point, you know, which is, which is something, you know, that how, what is going on in the script really either gives you guys freedom or you're handcuffed, right? Because 100%. you don't realize that. And oftentimes even like the director or the producers, well, what do you mean we can't? It's like, well, do you understand what's happening in this script? You're like, someone's you know it's like whatever the content could be wrong or, or whatever yeah. it's only oh, it's yeah. depicting either the church or the science group or something in the wrong <laughs> way and then it's like guys i keep this is not going to pass muster there's no way to you know get this through the archdiocese if you want to have someone do this in a church type of thing you know it's <laughs> we've like, all been down yeah. that road yeah trying oh, to, yeah, trying to explain the scene and like well it's not really a murder <laughs> but okay yeah. it's a murder <laughs> yeah so, so ryan what, what, do, what do you have in the vein of i can't stuff? follow that uh either <laughs> one of them so i'm gonna go the other way with my my first movie i location managed um, that I was, in hindsight, not ready for. It was a military movie, and it had Val Kilmer, Kilmer in it, and it, nobody oh, saw it. Baby. Yeah, oh, buddy. baby. Yeah, uh, buddy. So, it, it, you know, it's this story of the Marines and this young man going through the Marines, and, and um, he's going through boot camp, training camp, and they're like, Ryan, don't worry about it. We got DOD approval. Don't worry about it. We got DOD, don't worry, you know, over and over. Guess what happens a week, two weeks before we start shooting? DOD tells us to pack sand. We don't got it, which means 18 military lo locations fall on me. Oh, I'm ass, you know, 28 year old, like, I, what does that mean? I got to find 18 more military. <laughs> One of them of which was a ocean vessel is a military ocean a ship. And they're like, no, no, no. When he goes off to Beirut in the 80s, we need a period ship that we can pull up to the dock. And we can load all the guns on and all the guys and all. I'm just like, what? Wait, okay. And I was in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I'll be damned if we didn't have two um, kind of research and supply ships that were military, but they were periodically decommissioned from military active service into the U.S. Maritime Division of the Department of Transportation. And I found this these twin ships, the Cape Juby and the Cape. I can't remember something else. And I, I, I went to the ship and why am I looking for a ship is what I'm asking is as a location, manager, it has nothing to do with me. Right. And so I was just like, I'm getting this damn ship and I, you know, permission to come aboard. I walk up there. I talk to the guy. The guy's like, shit, I don't know why not. You know, it took me five weeks after that. Like Mike said of calling people no you don't got to talk to this guy you got to talk to this guy and then it becomes you got to call this guy in washington and then you know if we go to war if it gets called that ship's gone like forget it then of course my art department was like we got to paint it we got to measure it we got to put our stuff on it and then transpo was like you know we got to put a crane on it to get that and it just became a nightmare and i'm <laughs> i have no it's my first movie as a manager i'm like is this what i'm supposed to be doing anyway <laughs> The night before we, I had permission from everybody. Everybody signed off, but I didn't have this. I didn't have this, you know, the night before we were supposed to start painting it. And I found a guy who had a cell phone number for the guy who was fishing. I swear to God, he was fishing. And they called up to whatever, his house up there and they got him. And he, you know, I think we probably faxed it at that time and he signed it and I got it. And I acted the next day like nothing happened and we have 200 extras and buses and shit and loading up stuff on this military ship. And still nobody saw the movie, nobody gave a shit. And <laughs> but but you, but, you did that, I mean, it's so funny. But for me, it's like, oh my God, that was like, I was, 
Yeah, it, by the way, it was with our buddy Tim, too. That's <laughs> oh, yeah, before Mr. we learned how to say no. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I yeah. was going to say, a lot of our position sometimes comes from people who don't want to do something, and they slow, oh, let the location manager deal with that. And all of a sudden, we have this group of things we're doing. We're like, why isn't a producer doing this? Yeah. <laughs> or can I get a credit or something? Like, why am I, you know? You're that, that was right. technically yeah. a location, but it ends at the dock. Like, that's what a Marine coordinator is for, or a producer. It's a military level, anyway. No, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And there are a lot of those things. I mean, I think even, you know, for the most part, like crew members don't understand what the location department has to go through when they show up every day to step on set to start shooting that day. There, there is no understanding of, of the backstory that went into being able to be in this place at this moment in time. Yeah. Who found those clues? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's usually what yeah. we get. <laughs> Yeah, they, so they, it, they think that we they think that we we figure out where the portable toilets and the catering tent and the dumpsters go. They have no freaking idea. Bro, I'm not parking in that for, field. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we've been out for oh, four months. Yeah. We've been working with the creative team. That's one of the goals of the guild, actually. Uh, yes. I'll throw a little plug in for the guild. Is we just got tired of being the, the people who were thought of as the folks that park the toilets and the dumpsters and the catering tent. You know, our contribution to the film is, is huge. It's immense. And, and I'd like to tell folks that at the beginning, we're 99% creative and 1% logistical. And at a certain point, you know, the creative decreases and yeah. the, the technical, the logistical increases um, because we are working with, with, with Washington level uh, bureaucracies, military, uh, State Department, uh, Department of Interior, Agriculture, whomever. Um, and then as we move through the process, it becomes pretty much getting the equipment to, to the location making sure the extras are serviced and all that stuff. But still, you know, a big movie or a small movie, you've always got your camera and you're always ready to go take a picture because so often, you know, three weeks before the end of the movie, they decide they want a new scene or a new location or a new set and we've got to go out and scout. So we're always creative. There's always that creative element that is part of our job. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of the crew only sees what we do on the shoot day, they don't, or the prep shoot and wrap days. They don't see all the rest of that stuff. So that's one of the goals of the guild is to sort of increase the level of knowledge of what we do. Uh, yeah, if I could piggyback, and Doug, I didn't mean to cut. Doug, oh, go ahead, anything. go ahead, man. What do you got? If I could piggyback on that, there's a there's another aspect that these guys have all felt too, and being a local in North Carolina when I was beginning my career, and being a local in Atlanta now, that's where I grew up, but there's this element at some point that I don't think people realize, and I won't use me as, as the example, or let's say for a destination tax incentive state, there, uh, there's one person on the ground and there's, there might even be a director or creatives who don't really want to be there, but the show wants to be there. Mm -hmm. And you get this call, Hey man, we're bringing this to Atlanta or we really want to, you have to convince them creatively that they could do it. And you're in this position of like, Oh my God, like, no pressure, right? Like, so there might be a scout on the ground driving around at Georgia with the task of, if you don't show the right things creatively to convince them, they've either got a bigger argument or they're gonna go somewhere else or something like that. And there's pressure on the creative as well. Uh, I don't know, Mike and Wes, if you have felt that. It's like, we wanna go here for the whatever, but like, I don't think people realize it's like, there's a lonely person with a camera going, oh shit, I better not mess this up. 
because you well, know you got to do it quickly and make it look right and fit and and win the argument, so to speak. I mean, we've all been on the on the movies. I was on one, uh, fortunately, for just a very short time because I, I came in because of the production designer. And when she decided she'd had enough and left the movie, it's the only show I've ever left. I won't say what it was, but it was a. I'm happy to say it was a terrible failure. Um, <laughs> But they, they, they went to, to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania because of the incentive. You know, you get the Pennsylvania incentive and then you get the bump to go to Pittsburgh. And it was set in the farm fields of Ohio. And, you know, you just, at a certain point, I, went, I turned to the designer and the director and said, what the fuck do you want me to do? It's calling for a cornfield. You're in the middle of the Allegheny Mountains. You know, what do you want me to do? It, it doesn't exist. I can tell you I've, I've, I've been... I've, I've scouted from, with Google Earth, start with Google Earth. I've gone to county agents, county agricultural agents. I've gone to, in your lit, list, I've driven 750 miles in two days. And you know what? It doesn't exist here. Well, but we've got to shoot here. Well, how about this? Go to your little computer and change cornfield to forest. Boom, done. <laughs> you know what? No, we can't. It'll ruin the story. I said, it has nothing to do with the story. You just want a cornfield and you know, it doesn't exist here. So at a certain point, you put your foot down and you're sort of that asshole that just says, you know what? It doesn't, I don't, I don't like to be, I always like to find, you That's know, the right. location for the, yeah. for the team. But at a certain point, you know, deep down intrinsically, when you know it doesn't exist, at some point you just have to say, it doesn't exist. You have a it's responsibility at some point. Yeah. It's, it's not here. You're wasting your time. So if you can't change the, the, the tagline, you know, we're going, we're going to get in a car. We're going to drive two and a half hours West to a cornfield. Yeah, you're absolutely, you know, you're absolutely right. And I, you know, and uh, I am in a position, you know, with a lot of the directors and writer directors I work with, I have said to them, I say, just, just change it. Like forget, you know, us trying to make, you know, this play, just, just let's make the story here. You know, there was a movie I did in Atlanta called, uh, uh, you know, a heist movie called triple nine that was written for like, you know, Los Angeles. And the director was a friend of mine. And, you know, we like literally scouted for like a, even a week. And then I was just like, let's stop pretending we can make this like downtown LA. Why don't we, what difference does it make? It's a heist movie. Let's make it in Atlanta. That's what we did. You know, at the end of the day, it was like, oh, you're going to lose it. No, it had to do with, you know, the, the, the had to do with the, with the gangs, you know, in, in LA. But, you know, I'm like, but every city's got gangs. Every city, you know, we can make it work that way. So, and it's a good point because sometimes you get to a point where it's like, okay, it's going to be worse trying to pretend that this all exists someplace where we're not shooting. I, I always have a, an expression. I say, let's be prepared to embrace our limitations. You know, by embracing our limitations, you can find a pathway towards success. You know, if you deny your limitations, you get into this level of what I call the ostrich syndrome where heads are buried in the sand. And it's just like, and then and no one's going to be the person who's like, oh yeah, no, that doesn't look, oh yeah, you know, and then uh, everyone's drinking the Kool-Aid, you know, oh yeah, sure. Yeah. This looks like uh, Paris, you know, <laughs> it's like, okay, not happening. Um, but that's, that's, you know, that's, that's a really, that's a really good, great point because that happens, that happens all the time, you know, and it's then the earlier that, you know, and, you know, and I get it, not everything, but, you know, there's versions like even, you know, like it doesn't have to be the exact place, but it could be someplace closer. Like you could say, oh, let's be in, you know, another state that it feels topographically closer than denying the fact that, you know, yeah, we're not really shooting in Idaho when we're in Georgia, you know, you know, but that, 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 that's a, that, that's a valid point. Um, and then, um, you know, one, one thing I know that you guys have been tackling for, for a bit is, and is, is the idea of 
how do we go back to work, right? And I know the truth of the matter is you guys are at the forefront of this, the locations department in terms of what it's going to take, new things involved. Like the process of filmmaking is difficult enough as it is, right? On a never, everyday normal basis, you know, um, full disclosure, you know, I shot a commercial in New York City last week and um, the COVID pro and thank God it was a commercial, right? So commercial is like, okay, so this is what's going on in New York City right now. You can't hold parking. You can't hold pedestrian traffic. They tell you this is the equipment you can have on a street, which is a camera, sticks, two stands, one light. Thank God the commercial was a dock style type commercial, you know, so, you know, we could kind of get away with that. Um, but, uh, you know, the COVID protocols, the testing, we literally, we had to every, you know, you got to build that in the cleaning, right? Which is, these are all things that fall upon the locations department, how to deal with the single box handling of food, how to deal, you know, no containers can be open, how to deal with making sure every place is clean, this, that, and the other. I, for one, am almost the one like to throw my hands up and say, uh, I give, I mean, how do we do this before, you know, there, there's a vaccine or something, but we're all going into these meetings and these dialogues, you know, and especially on the feature level where as we all go back and start to plan movies that are going to be 50, 60 day shoots, you know, the level of testing, the pods, all these conversations. I'm curious, since you've been addressing this on each one of you, how you feel, Mike, what are your, you know, initial thoughts or concerns or all of it? Start with Wes, because he's Mr. Boots on the ground as far as being at the forefront. And I'll come in later. Well, let's go. Wes, tell me what you know. Well, what I know is uh, I've been you know, I was on a small independent feature here in Los Angeles that was shooting at one location before this all went down. We had five days left and we shut down on St. Patty's Day, um, right, right around Coffee Tuesday. Um, but uh, we shut down and we ramped back up in early May. Very small shoot, one location. I can't reiterate that enough. We're small. Uh, we're like 40 people crew uh, tops. And we were a union show, but, uh, you know, we, we have been prepping since April. We still haven't shot. The five days that we had scheduled left to shoot has turned into 15 days with COVID, uh, with the time that it takes, you know, 10-hour days, testing every morning, temperature taking, you know, all that goes with the cleaning, uh, for us, you know, it's been it's been very slow. It's a slow process. Uh, we're 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 still away from shooting. We pushed again last week for another two weeks because of our talent. Uh, they just were not quite ready to, with the, you know, things ramping up again here in Los Angeles. Got a little cold feet. Decided to wait a little bit longer, uh, but we've continued prepping. We've we've got our blessing from SAG, DGA, IA and uh, the Teamsters to do what we've asked to do. We've got our permits through the city, the county, county health, uh, fire and police. Uh, so everything has gone well for us. You know, we've been testing two times a week with our crew uh, for the last month. Uh, we're using a company called Real Health. Uh, they're our COVID team and leaders, which uh, they've been doing a great job with us. I know that they're contracted with a lot of other films right now. And there's a number of COVID teams. I'm sure Mike and Ryan are familiar with others, but 
real health is who we're using. So <clears throat> it's uh, from, I mean, our jobs are the same, but we have new additional things that we're, we're going to be dealing with. The cleaning thing is a huge thing for us. And on smaller shows, I mean, it seems like the larger companies like Warner Media and places like that, they have in-house people that deal with the testing and the health part of it. A lot of them, it seems, but the smaller ones, and there are some of the bigger ones that are farming it out to independent contractors as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear what Mike and Ryan are doing because I mean, I am knee deep in it, but we still haven't started shooting yet. We're just in the process of ramping up. So I, I am experiencing a lot of new things, but uh, I'm sure Mike, you're, you're knee deep in a couple things and I'm sure Ryan is too, so. Yeah. Well, one, one, one thing you said, Doug, to me, this is not a locations job. No. This is not a locations job. This is the job of a COVID coordinator. Call, call it whatever you want to call it. But this is, this is a life and death scenario. You're dealing with life and death. Location, as far as I'm concerned, and the way I, I'm going to, I've already spoken with, I'm going to be working on a, a big period feature in Oklahoma, hopefully in, in starting in a month or so. <laughs> uh, but what I told the producer is, I'm not dealing with COVID other than helping find the facilities that are needed by production to do the testing, to do the temperature taking, isolation, those things on set and, and at the various uh, construction shops, that tech shop, all those places. I, I am not going to be dealing with cleaning anything. That's not my job. I don't know how to do it. I don't want to know. I don't clean my, I don't clean my house. I'm not cleaning a, 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 a location for, um, uh, for, uh, for, for COVID. Uh, and, and, I, and I think this is one thing that I've seen with a lot of young location, assistant location managers and, and young managers is, you know, how do we do it? How do we say, you don't do it. You go to your production manager and say, what are you doing? What's the production doing for COVID? How can I help them by getting the, helping with the logistics, getting the facilities they need? That's where the line is drawn. Um, I'm not going to get dragged into the chain of, of, um, of uh, decision making for all of those things, you know, I'm not. I don't get paid that kind of money. You want to, you want to pay me twenty thousand bucks a week? I'll production manager show for you, <laughs> but I'm location manager. I'll find you the space that you need um, because you can get into it. You know, especially young folks, you can get into it way over, way over your head, and it, and then somebody catches the disease or somebody unfortunately dies. I mean, terrible if something like that happened because you fucked up. So. You know, uh, what I'm, what that, that's sort of the, what I'm telling everybody that I talk to and every young kid is be there to facilitate, but do not take possession of COVID. Now on our show, we've got lots of scenes with hundreds and hundreds of extras. Um, and even though it's a pretty big budget movie, no matter how much money you have, you don't have enough money, you know? So, so they're looking at, at green screening, you know, extras um, and, uh, and, and inserting them into certain shots. Um, the, our producer has talked to three or four different companies. I know he's got a huge budget for COVID compliance. And, you know, one of the things we want to do is when we go on locations, we want to find one building the whole production can be in. So our production offices, our construction shop, our set deck shop, our lockup for, for uh, set deck, for props, for picture cars, one big massive factory or something that's been abandoned that we can then cordon off into into different rooms, if you will, of, you know, 10, 20,000 square feet, 
for each department. That way we reduce the number of check-in people. You know, everybody goes to one central place and you've got five people taking temperatures and telling them, yeah. yes, you can go to work today. No, you've got to, you know, go to isolate. No, you're going to the hospital. Yeah. Um, and so that'll reduce the cost immensely if we can, if we can do that. Um, uh, and we are just now starting, I just got a script today and the producer wants to, you know, wants us to take a look at it and wants to have a call next week just to talk about how we're even going to think about approaching this problem with, um, I mean, a lot of our movie is outside, which is great. Um, but we've got a, a one location, one house that we're in for about six weeks with a lot of people on some days and it's going to be dicey. So we're trying to figure out, you know, do we build, you know, a huge tent right adjacent to the exterior of the house and house people in that, you know, during the day, because it's going to be in the winter time and how, you know, how do we do all this stuff? We don't know. We're inventing, we're inventing yeah. and every project is different. Every project has different demands. We all got the protocols anywhere you go are pretty much the same isolation, testing, temperature taking, masks, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but how you, how you take those, pro those protocols and implement them, that's the key thing. That's the hard thing. And that's where you need a, a real health or a company like that to come in and oversee yeah. it. Yes. It's a job. And it's too big a job for somebody who already has a job. It's got to be their job. It's got to be their responsibility. And somebody on that team can't be over overruled by anybody, even the director. When that person right. says, Sally Smith, you're going to the hospital, Sally's going to the hospital. No matter <clears throat> if Sally is the DP or the, the lead actress or um, a craft service person, they've got to have that authority to to make those decisions so that safety is ensured. Yeah, you're absolutely off, right. Off my you're, soapbox now. No, but you're absolutely right. I mean, no, you are right. You know, it's just, it's, it's one of these things where um, it's, it, it's difficult enough, everything we do, we were, you know, one of the things that I've said for a long time is the, the, the advent of, of how technology has moved so quickly and in a lot of ways has been detrimental to the film business from the logistical side, right? Because things used to be like, okay, things used to move slower in a certain way and there was an understanding of that. But now, since because of technology and communication, we often make the impossible happen. There's, uh, there is oftentimes the thought that, oh, you know, oh yeah, no, we're, you know, we'll pull it up, they'll, they'll pull it out of their ass. They'll be able to make it happen. But this is not one of these times. You know, I firmly believe as you guys do, I'm sure that, you know, that with health and safety being paramount and we all having enough to do, you can't be more right when you say, everybody has to make sure that there is a group there that this is what they're monitoring. This is what they're doing, you know, because even as I was on, as I said, with a small group on the streets of New York, we had the COVID person doing stuff. And I was like, yeah, you know, I can make, I can keep, make sure people are keeping six feet. I couldn't really, because you're not thinking that way. I'm doing enough stuff. I'm talking to the director. Finally, they realized that. And they had someone ghosting on set. We just be like six feet, six feet. And be like, oh, and then after a little while, you, you, you get it and you do it. But the muscle memory of filmmakers is, you know, we all tend to huddle around where like a grenade could go off and, you know, half the crew's gone because we're all there just talking, you know. So these are new things that, you know, people that are going to be difficult to learn and that really require other people having the authority, as you've so said, to be able to make these decisions and one having the knowledge to lead us through it. And, you know, and, and, and you know, this is all going to be new ground for us. What about you, Ryan? I didn't get to you on those thoughts before I started talking. What do you, what do you think? Uh, no problem. No, you got, I, I don't know that I have anything uh, fresh and new to add to that. I, I echo everything 
that I've heard so far. Um, one thing I do want to just sort of double up on and reiterate is Mike is 100% correct in that. And it goes back early to why I ended up looking for a, um, you know, a military ship. It's like because the location manager takes on these things. Oh, the location's got, yeah, location's got to do it. And to some degree, yeah, we have to be a part of these border wars where at some point you're like, wait a minute, you're talking about the health, safety, and welfare of human beings uh, being set on a, I'm a dopey location manager, right? Like I'm not, I'm not qualified for that. Don't ask me to do that. Um, I will facilitate what it takes to get that done if that's the case. If it happens on this location, hey, the guys are going to be here at this time. They do the thing. But hey, just like if we went somewhere with lead paint, I would get a company that knows lead paint to come in and take it out. And I would get the yep. safety person from the studio to go, the lead paint is out. We've measured. But I don't, you know what I mean? Like it's facilitating, not, I don't want the responsibility, the liability. I, and not just because I'm shuck, uh, shirking responsibilities, because it's people's lives. It's like it's a, it's a whole nother level of and so yeah the the covid coordinator position uh, the only thing i can say is that in these chats uh i moderate the 10 a.m we've done i don't know if we've done 20 of them uh, 10 of them have been covid heavy talks and what i've learned from we've talked to people from really all over the world we have members on most continents and a lot of them have have chimed in and one has been Iceland and they've done a really good job of coming up with a system of how they, you know, they have color codes and all this kind of stuff. It's great. But one thing I can tell you is no one said, we've got it figured out, right? There's always more questions than answers. And as I said to Wes on the phone earlier today, it feels like we're trying to fix the bike while we're riding it, right? We don't know. It's like, we know it's got to be fixed, but I, I don't know that anybody has definite answers. And like you said, you, you, you started doing it and you thought this was the thing and then you nudge it and then you adapt and, and fix it. It's a very yeah. tricky thing because again, people's lives are at stake. So my two cents is make sure it's a health professional, a licensed company, and I'm happy to facilitate it, but put them in charge just like you would, you know, a bunch of medics if you're doing a stunt, like have the people mm -hmm. who can save people or prevent trouble standing by. What are the I, things I that, one Go of the things ahead. that I'm going to do, there's, there are these COVID compliance classes you can take online. And I know a lot of people take it. I'm going to take it and I'm going to have all the people who work for me take it. It's, it's sort of going to be an unofficial requirement for the job. Not because I want them to do those jobs. I want them to know what has to be done so yeah. that they can be part of, the, part of the process, part of the discussion, part of the creative decision making. Um, uh, I, I didn't mean to, to, to imply earlier that I want nothing to do with it. I'm, I'm happy to do my part of it and, and have my people as educated as they can be on, on the, the solutions to the COVID problem. Uh, I just don't want that responsibility. Yeah, I could say that I, I know you were talking about cleaning and I am doing the cleaning right now, Mike, but we're so new into this and we're so small. It's like it kind yeah, of fell no, on me this time. Cool. It is yeah. a little different. I won't be doing it on a big giant Netflix show like Ozark. Yeah. I'm not going to be dealing with that on there. Yeah. You know, but there is. Go, the, yeah. 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 I guess. I mean, the cleaning though is intense. I've, I've, it's, it's an everyday all day thing. And it, I heard local 80 might be getting involved in trying to help with that. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's, you know, hopefully they they get training and, and that is something that they'll take on and help with in the, in the end. So we'll see. I've gotten emails from five people who were either set dressing or props who have now gone into COVID. They are, yeah. they're still in the union. 
I've gotten I think three what this week. I think what they're, <laughs> yeah, I think what they're betting on is that it's going to become a union position. And they've got companies set up and they've got training and they've got employees and they're ready to go, which is, which yeah. is great. Smart. It is. It By is. the way, the rates I'm hearing are pretty good. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> well, it's, I'm it's sure. crazy. It's an important thing. And in this business, so many times, you know, something opens up and lends itself to an opportunity, you know, and obviously I think the, obviously the thing that I was always concerned about before, you know, and you bring up these, the people, you know, who know the business is, you know, what it, it needs to have that melding of, yes, there's a whole medical thing going on, but the film business is like no other business in terms of how, we're structured, you know, so it, it, it requires somebody, whether it's a liaison with the medical unit, or as you guys have said, some film people who are starting medically staffed companies to understand how to cater specifically to our niche, you know, because it's, it's very different than saying, you know, okay, you know, uh, we need someone that's going to do this for an investment bank, you know, it's like, we're a traveling circus. The way we move, the way we get up and move around, you know, into neighborhoods, um, you know, the way we eat, the way we feed is like no other business. So it does require, uh, I think the strength in it is requiring someone who has the knowledge of how we operate with the, with, with the medical expertise. You know, that's going to that's gonna be the seamless way to go about it, I believe. You know. Yeah, if you don't have that, I mean, it's like there is there are shows that are up and running right now. For instance, there's one in Philadelphia I'm very familiar with, and they brought their health team on. And there's still a learning curve, a big one. And I see it, too, but not as big as maybe a bigger show does. But there's a big learning curve with the health department people, the whatever team you've been put in place and understanding how we operate and how we move. You almost need somebody as a full-time position kind of getting them up to speed of who we are, how we operate. And, you know, it's, it's another full-time job in between there. So I've seen that happen. And I know that job is exists already as well. So, yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of fits and starts. People got to start. They're going to crank up. Someone's going to yep. get, get whacked. You know, I think you, you can have when three people have had it within a certain period of time, you shut down and sort of review yep. the protocols and start from scratch. There's going to be a lot of that. And I think, I think a lot of folks just sitting back waiting to see how these first few shows operate, how they work, what works, what doesn't, how much they spend, where they spend their money, how they spend their money, what worked, what didn't work. And then, you know, you bob and you weave and you create in, uh, a, a process that works for your production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people Every are production shitless. Yeah. A lot of yeah, people are shitless. I'm talking production managers, producers. I've talked to folks at Netflix and at Warner Brothers. I mean, it's, it's a big deal. They've been working on this it since is. the beginning just about. And, and they're not – I mean, they're, they're much further along than they were, but still there's a lot of answers that uh, are, are not on the table yet. Yeah, and, and there's no set answer. I, I think every every production is unique, and every production is going to have certain certain um, idiosyncrasies that make it a little bit specific. So it's it's going to be it's going to be a learning process for everybody. And the difficult thing is going to be where it does fall into the world of locations is where do they shoot, right? Because obviously, different places have are going to have different restrictions. What's going on? you know, in New York right now isn't what's going on in California. What's going on in Michigan isn't what's going on in Georgia, you know? So, 
you know, it, 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 it's almost, there's almost like there's going to be different rules of engagement on top of the process, depending upon where the production is. Find, find empty right. spaces whenever, find empty spaces whenever you can, because if you want to film yeah. in a high rise in downtown Atlanta or downtown LA or downtown New York, if that's a, a, a fairly functioning high rise, you ain't getting in there. No. You're just, not, I mean, they don't know how they're going to get their people in, let alone I, a couple hundred people carrying sandbags. Um, so it's, it's, you know, people's homes, you know, you're going to go into grandma's house and you're going to film in her house. Well, you know, you got to deal with grandma. Where yeah. do you put grandma and how do you sanitize grandma's house? How do you make sure that after 200 people have been through grandma's house, she comes back to a clean and safe environment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I talked to guys in Atlanta yesterday that are on the ground scouting, and I'm not sure if it was Marvel. I think it was Marvel, but they're not allowed to get out of their car. They're shooting photos from their car. I'm I'm working with Marvel right now. I'm not allowed to leave my house. Well, so he, he got permission. Talking. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. He got permission to, to yeah, but go he wasn't out. allowed to take a picture outside of his car. I was like, no. He's like, I'm throwing airplanes out the window of my notification letter to try and land I, in their yard. Yeah, I only got so many <laughs> files and so many friends with files that'll loan me files to show them. I'm like, I'm, I'm running out here. Let me leave the Let house. No, I got a few. Yeah, yeah. and well, yeah, it's it, it's going to be challenging. It's like looking for that that sweet location that we used to. No, that might not work anymore. You might have to look for ten choices. You know, not that we don't do that all the time, but you're going to have to look for a lot of more locations to find the guy that's willing to let do it. You know, I think. Yes. I, mean, I think, you, I think you're right. I mean, it's going to be a very slow out of the gate and a lot. Obviously the effect is different, right? You know, if you're dealing everything from, you know, if you're even dealing with a streamer and like one of these eight or 10 episode things, similar to an Ozark episodic TV in New York city has been, you know, pardon my English, but a shit show for years in terms of how late the scripts come in, poor locations, people are like running like crazy, trying to find this, the prices, you know, re restaurateurs in New York City got savvy after a while, it'd be like, oh, you want to come shoot here? It's going to be $30,000. Why? Because they know that you need 24 hours, you got to be in a location to shoot something because the writers just changed the script. I think there's, there needs to be a melding, right? It's going to start to happen. And we don't know, you know, this is not a long, this is not a forever thing, but it's a creating content now thing where it's like the creative has to meld in and be like, oh yeah, you know, this thing we wrote, well, maybe we don't need 24 locations. Maybe it can be done in 10 or 12. You know, there's going to be this type of understanding of how do, from a creative aspect, do some things get written down so that you don't need to be all over the place for these one eighth of a page pops. You know, how do we get, how, how does creative help in the idea that we don't need to as a big unit be all over the place because I think it's going to, it's going to be incumbent upon us as the locations, people, as producers, as assistant directors to be like, Oh, we can't do that. There's no way that's not feasible. You know? And I think there's going to be a lot more no going on than people in the business have heard for a long time, just to main maintain within the goalposts of the, of the safety outlines, you know? There's going to be a yeah, lot fewer one, two, three, eighth page locations. You yeah. Know, you just can't do it. Oh yeah. You just can't do it. You just, yep. you're going to be, you're going to be going to a location and see if you can shoot four or five different things there. Yeah. You know, yeah. Make your full day we're, on, we're on talking stage. about building a lot more on stage too for Ozark. You know, we've already got two other sound stages that we didn't have. So we're, 
spreading out. Everything's got to spread out. New offices. It's like you said, Mike, you need big, wide open space, which is what we've been looking for as well. So, yeah. yeah. And I think the building no, is real. Yes. I see a question that popped up in the chat that I, if I could. Go for um, it. Uh, working on non-union feature, is it bad practice to ask cast and crew to sign any type of COVID liability waivers? Uh, bad practice, as far as I'm concerned, it is. Uh, when you're asking somebody to sign away liability for a place that you're bringing them into that could cause them to die. Uh, I, I mean, I, I know on union shows, we're never going to sign waivers. Our unions have basically said, don't, you know, don't, if, if you get a waiver, send it to us, we'll deal with it. Um, uh, so yeah, I think it's bad practice. I think I think there's got to be something done at the at the at the studio level. At the, at the Fed, I mean, the feds are talking about the Republicans are talking about liability waivers in this newest round of uh, of, uh, of financials that they're dealing with. But yeah, as far as I'm concerned, people shouldn't sign liability waivers. Um, you know, it's it, you're you're asking me to come to work. You're asking me to go into this place you've got to make sure it's safe. And if it's not, then, you know, I'm going to probably come back to you for some recompense. So uh, yeah, waivers to me are not a good thing. Nope. No, that, that, that's a good point because the unions have all made a very clear stance on that as that was something that was bandied about early on and kind of everyone started to step away from realizing that's not going to get anywhere. And I think where we're going to have problems are on non-union productions where you might not have a COVID compliance officer, where you might not have a, a real, you know, a, a real studio in place, you know, a real production company with experience in place. And, you know, we saw people out in LA here a month ago out shooting, you know, five o'clock on a Sunday morning with, you know, an insert car and a few people and, you know, no masks, no protections, like obviously a non-union shoot and somebody's going to get sick. And, and my fear is not for the big Marvel movies, uh, the, big, the big studio projects, because they're gonna bust their asses to do things the right way. It's the small, yeah. independent, union productions who think, oh, well, you know, we can get in and get out quickly. We don't have to do this or that. And, you know, hopefully nobody dies from it. Uh, but that, that's always been my fear and it continues to be my fear and nothing personal against the person asking the question, but that's my fear when I see a question like that. Well, I mean, I can say from the standpoint of doing a very small $6 million horror movie, we have gone to great lengths and spent a great amount of money to ensure that we're doing it right. But I mean, all eyes are on us at the moment in town watching what we're doing. So, but I feel like we've done a good job. So, you know, hopefully some of the small ones will pony up and pay what it takes to you know, get the COVID compliance taken care of because it does cost money. It is in the end, it is money. Yeah, and I, and I fear as Mike does, you know, if they if they can't afford it, it's 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 a corner they're willing to cut, and that's a dangerous corner. Yeah, it is. It is. I won't say that they won't do it, but hopefully most most will try. No, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, it's it's a very these are very strange times, you know, because. It's so funny because for, for the longest time, one of the legendary location slash AD stories in New York filmmaking was the Times Square shot in Vanilla Sky, where Tom Cruise comes running down. Uh, yeah. like, and that was done on a Sunday morning. There was something like 240 PAs and ADs locking up Times Square at 5 a.m. on a Sunday. And 
literally in the lockdown, like street photographers posting shots. I'm like, this is almost like every AD and location manager's dream, like to, to have these type of locations with nobody around, you know? And of course it's taken a pandemic to get there, but it's like, you see some of these photos that people were taking and you're like, oh my God, never thought I'd see the day that that place or whatever place had zero people. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's really, really, really strange times. Yeah. And um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, all businesses, every business is affected differently. I mean, our business is predominantly a business that for the most part has the potential of getting iced for most of the year for most people. You know, there are a lot of people that have been out of work for a long time. There aren't going to be a lot of people going back in the initial first wave of it all. Um, and Mike, as you said, there's going to be a lot of people standing and watching to see how the first few things out of the gate go. Um, but I'd like to think that, you know, it's times like this and it's experiences like this where we learn things and make our business stronger in certain ways um, and better. Like, you know, there are things we're going to take from this because one of the things that was one of the, you know, preeminent things that we started to talk about when we put the film roundtable together was, and, uh, and the first episode we have was the quality of life that people have been now enjoying in a certain way by not working 14, 15 hours a day every day being at home with their family, how to take some of that back, that idea back with them. COVID is going to do it right away, right? Because everyone's saying 10-hour days, right? Some like work-through-lunch type situations, which we've all been on movies that do that. Um, it would be interesting if there's some of the positive aspects of the working environment that COVID is forcing us to go through that can be things that stick around and make the business better. Um, you know, because nobody's going to want to be working... 14, you know, the, the, the immune system becomes compromised just right off the bat on long days. Everyone's saying 10 hour days with a working lunch. Um, it would be really interesting if that's a, a quality of life thing that we're able to take out of this business and continue with even after we've been able to deal with and suppress this illness, you know, that is causing, you know, so much problem in our industry. You know, I think, you know, Haskell Wexler, before he passed, was on, was on that bandwagon for years, you know, 12 hour days, 12 hour days, 12 hour days. Um, it's unfortunate that, that nobody really listened to him very much, but I think we are going to get there with COVID. It's going to be 10 hour days, you know, shooting days. And, and frankly, the last four movies I've worked on have done that big movies. They've worked, you know, 10 hour days, worked through lunch and maybe 10% of the time we went over 10 hour, 11 hours, you know, and, and it worked out fine. And you can, you could, even though there were ball buster movies, you could, you could feel it. You could feel the difference between that 10 hour shoot day versus a 12 or a 13 hour shoot day. And, and I think hopefully uh, that that sticks with us, that, that people will just say, you know what? No, no more 14 hour days. It's just not going to happen. Um, and uh, you know, when all this goes away, when there's a vaccine and when there's herd immunity and when there's whatever in the next, you know, year, year and a half, uh, hopefully some of these changes will stick because they are for the better. I mean, frankly, craft service is a ridiculous waste of a lot of money, I think. You know, my God, you, 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 I'm used to getting up in the morning and making myself breakfast at home. I can do that every day. I don't need to go to work and eat breakfast. I don't need food all day long. I don't need food all afternoon long between meals. You know, give me a decent lunch, have some, have some little nosh so that I don't, you know, fall apart. But, you know, when you're spending 4,000 bucks a day on craft service on these big movies, and 25% of it's going into the trash at the end of the day. I mean, come on. 
that's such bullshit. It makes me crazy. And I have a lot of friends that do craft service and, and I love them, but let's get back to what craft service used to do. Yeah. Clean up the shit. Yeah. And, and a lot of junk that is making people not very healthy, just snacking on all day. You know? on, on my on, on Top Gun, you couldn't have donuts. Craft service was told no donuts. They were told like five things. You cannot have these things. It's my favorite thing really craft off. service. Yeah, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> donuts. Not with our producer. No donuts. Well, that's good. Well, that's Crispy good. cream. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Only when it's hot and fresh. Um, <laughs> well, listen, any, I mean, this, has been, fresh. this has been a great wonderful conversation i mean i think you know it's been it's, it's interesting we've been trying to find common threads in all these different talks that we've had um and a lot of it has been about the teamwork aspect which i mean for me as an ad i consider you guys like to be like you know if, if i'm a gunslinger you're the weapon in my right hand you know so it's like you know i mean so it's just always great for me to be able to have these type of conversations and also try and impart a little bit of knowledge you know as i said to you before we've got a lot of people just starting out in this business and understanding, you know, trying to get their understanding and their bearings of who to rely on and how, and how does it all work and what are the different aspects of it? Um, I want to thank you all for giving, you know, spending time coming down here because I know it's, it's not easy to coordinate these things and get everyone together as Wes has been rushing through three different locations and parking while we've been talking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry guys. It's, it's, <laughs> no, it's been one great. Of those days. One of those days. No, it's been great. Um, so I appreciate everyone's time because I think this has been a valuable uh, conversation to have. And this is going to be a valuable one that we warehouse in our vault that a lot of people go back on and we leave them up on YouTube and people watch them for weeks. So, you know, this has been a great conversation that people can return to. Um, right. But listen, I thank everyone for showing up. Ryan, thank you for helping me put this together since these are your fellow brethren. Yes. If, if I may, for one second, I wanted to turn around and say thank you for giving, um, you know, location managers an opportunity to explain what we do. Um, you know, I, I, we often get all, you know, we feel misunderstood or whatever. Um, to have a minute just to say what we do, you know, we, we interact with everybody on the crew, but not everybody on the crew always uh, maybe sometimes they shouldn't care what we do. It's not their business to care what we do, but it's nice to be given an opportunity to speak a little bit about what we do and hopefully somebody will enjoy it and, and learn something about location managers or I don't know. I, I just appreciate the, just the opportunity to talk. That's all yeah, good. Nobody ever good. asks us any questions or, you know, <laughs> Mike, thank you for all, imparting all your knowledge. Listen, all you guys, you guys, you guys, I've often said it, you guys are the backbone of a production. Without a solid locations team, you know, we might as well be invertebrate. You know, it's like, that's what I owe. So, um, Appreciate it. Thank you guys for Much your time. Okay. Uh, I hope to, you know, see some of you soon and again when I travel different parts of the world. And, you know, let's just keep this dialogue going. And really thank you for showing up. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Okay. And uh, thank you who tuned in today. Thank you very much. And as always, if you want to just let anyone know, this will be in the vault and it's going to be on YouTube for a while. So if you didn't catch it live, come back and get it. Take care, everybody. Thanks, guys. Right. Bye bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye bye. Thanks.